0: Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben-Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Trumah Contribution. The address is Shemot, Exodus chapter 25 verse 1 through chapter 27 verse 19. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel Ben-Lyman. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. The written commentary was updated on February 26th of 2006. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. This week's Torah portion is named Truma, and I'd like to dedicate it to my dear, uh, my very dear friend in uh, Messiah, whose name is Taruma, and um, she was a, um, a lovely Jewish gal that I met while I was stationed in Korea. She's also in the military, at least at the time that uh, I knew her back in 1996 or 1998. Um, so uh, we we um, she was one of the original members of my um, original Chavara group that I started at while I was stationed at the base, base there. We would meet together, her, myself, um, and I don't know, probably about 8 or 10 other students. We would meet together in one of the offices there and we would study Torah. And that was really where these notes um, were born. I started writing the, um, the notes uh, for the Torah portion so that we could study them on a weekly basis. And then after I left Korea, I just ended up using the same notes as the inspiration for my weekly commentaries that I post to you all here on the web. At any rate, uh, let me make this dedication for her, if if I may. Quote, the most beautiful thing that I shall always remember about you is the way that Yeshua caused your countenance to shine. My world is richer because of you, end quote. And that was um, something that I wrote to her Um, Again, South Korea, October 1998 through December 1999 When I was in Korea there in the military Alright, well let's get started with the Torah portion today Um, It is exciting um, uh, to note that we are beginning to um, uh, Look at the building of the Tabernacle of God uh, Because as we're going to find out uh, The meeting place uh, that God um, asked Moshe to set up would be a place that God would symbolically and um, spiritually meet with us, although he has always been as close as our prayers. Um, But the tabernacle itself itself is going to enjoy a special designation throughout the Tanakh, um, at least until the temple gets built. Our Torah portion this week is a short one, and accordingly we shall not spend a lot of time commenting on the various details. Um, as I mentioned, it's the opening instructions to the building of the tabernacle, which in Hebrew we say, Mishkan. Um, after I introduce a few more Hebrew words, I'm going to um, draw some correlations between them. Uh, so for now, just remember that word, Mishkan. This would serve as a temporary a temporary dwelling place where Hashem would meet with Am Yisrael to instruct them on everyday matters, um, particularly on how to uh, relate to one another in the community, Difficult decisions that Moshe would encounter, Um, he would go and ask God what to do. Um, We even see this happening as the Torah is is played out. As we read the Parashah, we also find instructions for the building of the Ark of the Covenant. In Hebrew, we say the Aron Kodesh, Um, and we also find the instructions for the Golden Lampstand, which we've come today to know as the Menorah, Um, or Menorah as it's pronounced. In the sequence of the giving of the instructions for the building of the Mishkan, Hashem, if you'll notice, starts with the inner chamber, which is the Kadosh Kadoshim, the Holy of Holies, and he works his way out to the common areas. Um, now, in reality, the, the entire movable structure was to be holy, but rather um, what we're seeing is a pattern that God starts with the most holy and works his way out. Um, we know as students of the word that Hashem confined. His manifest presence, his manifest glory. In Hebrew we say Shekinah. He actually um, confined this to a a location, as it were, to the most holy place, the Holy of of Holies. Now, let me start um, real quick and show you a correlation between some Hebrew words. Uh, Earlier I just mentioned the word Mishkan. <clears throat> and now I've just introduced another word, Shekhinah, which um, Mishkan, by the way, shows up in the Torah uh, text. It's a it's a Hebrew word that we can find, readily find, in our Hebrew Bibles. The word Shekhinah does not, or Shekaina, as you've probably heard it pronounced in search circles. But what's interesting is the two words share the same root, Shakhan, which means to dwell closely, or um, um, we get our word Shekhin, which means neighbor, from this same root word, shachan, which means to dwell closely together. And so, the Mishkan is the place that God has designated he would dwell close with Israel. He says, build me a tabernacle so that I may dwell among them. Um, the Hebrew says, um, um, uh, among them. Um, and so, um, if, we understand that the tabernacle is the device that God used and instructed Moshe to, of course, build after the pattern that he saw on the mountain, um, a copy of the heavenly original. Then we understand that the Mishkan served its purpose by presenting a, a three-dimensional um, doorway to heaven, as it were. Because the tabernacle is a copy of what's in heaven, and God, being in heaven... Um, where we cannot perceive of him, um, allowed us to erect a structure down here on earth whereby we could interact with him or he could interact with us. Also, it was a way by which we could um, approach our holy God, and we're going to see that the sacrifices are going to be needed for that in, in the next book, Leviticus. But for now, I just want you to know that Mishkan captures the idea of of the close-dwelling structure, the the, the structure where where whereby the Holy One can dwell close to us. Um, And that's what the word Mishkan is trying to convey. It's a a tent, it's a tabernacle, but it's not merely a tent or tabernacle that's far away. The very etymology of the Hebrew word Mishkan suggests a close dwelling, a close proximity to where we are, is where God wanted to be. And likewise, the word Shekhinah has the same root word as I mentioned, Shachan, if you can hear it in there And the idea with the, uh, the Shekhinah Was that God is invisible And his, his, his glory is veiled to us uh, Veiled from sinful eyes And yet at times God chose to break into the, the natural God being supernatural of course He breaks into the natural world And when he does Our five senses register The, the, um, uh, the revelation or the interaction The interaction. Um, the the invasion, as it were, and when our eyes or our ears or our our, our, our uh, um, even our mouths—I mean, the, the Torah does say, "Taste and see that the Lord is good." Right. So when when we register the invisible on a visible scale, or when we register the 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 um uh the supernatural on a natural level, when God breaks into nature, of course, God created nature, so He can do that. When He did that, the ancients, the Chazal, the sages of old, they they created a term for this this invasion or this this revelation and they called it shekhinah and it's really the manifest glory of god of the, the manifest presence of the otherwise invisible god i can see him yet i should not be able to see him and we're talking about something that's usually more than just a mere theophany like like the angel of the lord or the messenger of the lord or the um um uh, uh the the Memra. um usually we're talking about um some type of a uh, a spectacular display of God's manifest presence like like the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire or something to that effect. And that's what um, the the ancients termed the Shekhinah. Okay? Alright. As I mentioned earlier, the Mishkan is a tabernacle. It's a temporary structure. Um, one of the additional Hebrew words used to describe a temporary dwelling place as well is a Sukkah. Now, this is a term you're probably familiar with if you're... Um, if you've been in and around uh, Messianic circles, a sukkah is like a little booth. Um, again, it's a tent, a movable tent, uh, uh, something that you can dismantle very easily, uh, move it about, and set it up again at another location. Um, we use these small shelters um, to place animals in them, at least the Bedouins did, the, the, the people of Middle Eastern um, background, uh, before there were more permanent shelters. So Asuka is a little booth. Now, this mishkan... It was a dwelling place. It was a sukkah of sorts. Uh, It's a place where Hashem would choose to manifest His glory. And yet, the glory of Hashem, as we've uh, studied, cannot be confined to one place. We know that God is um, uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. His presence fills the entire universe. And the heavens and the heavens of the heavens cannot really even contain His presence. And yet, In some mysterious way or divine way, he chose to limit or to focus his glory, um, as it were, in this one place, the Shekinah. Now this was a gracious revelation on the part of our holy, invisible God to allow man to converse with him on an accessible level. Otherwise, from our point of view, God is inaccessible. And God does not want to be inaccessible and far away. He has always desired to walk with us and talk with us and commune with us. um, Like he did in the garden where he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. uh, In the cool of the garden. And yet, because of sin, um, we have been separated from God. God did not leave us, per se. I mean, I realize that sin drives him um, away of sorts. But yet, we chose to sin and to leave God's presence. We created the gulf. It was not God who pushed us away, is what I'm trying to say. Um, rather, because of our sin, God distanced himself from our sin. Uh, but we are the ones who initiated um, the upset balance. Our Lord knew that only pure hearts as a result of sin, he, he knew that only pure hearts would be able to fellowship with him on, an, on the most of the intimate of levels. Um, God really does know everyone of his creation. Um, and yet, he desires to have an intimate relationship with us, and only after we place our genuine trust in him can that intimacy uh, take place. As such, when it comes to the Mishkan here, he only wanted willing hearts to contribute to the building of his sanctuary. He did not want the people to build it out of coercion or or whatever. Let's read the opening few lines of this parasha and see um, what the Torah is trying to teach us. Uh, Exodus 25 verses 1 and 2, quote, Adonai said to Moshe, tell the people of Israel to take up a, a, a collection for me, accept a contribution from anyone who wholeheartedly wants to give. Quote. See, right there in the opening uh, few Pasukim, few verses, um, we see that the Lord instructs Moshe, I want the tabernacle built. That's my desire. However, I don't want to force or strong arm the people into building it. If they want to build it, let those people contribute to the building of it. Otherwise, um, i'll just wait till their hearts are ready I, i'm of course kind of filling in um, the narrative there this uh, few verses it it really reflects the heart of our lord's relationship with his people right And what is that willingness to give willingness to give god wants us to have the same heart that he has god is willing to to bankrupt himself on our on our behalf he literally emptied heaven on our behalf Uh, Obviously this was seen most fully in the um, giving of his son to the entire world. Even though God in his foreknowledge knew that the majority of his creation would reject this most generous gift. And yet we see here as well, God wants the people to generously build him a place where he can meet with his people. And yet we find out in the future that uh, even this will not serve to change their hearts because the people eventually go into gross idolatry. It's a shame that we cannot worship God on the level that God would ask us to uh, while we um, dwell in these earthly bodies, in these um, fleshly suits, these mishkans uh, that we are, that we live in. We must uh, wait until uh, Yeshua comes back to free us, of sorts, from the sin that is housed inside of us. At any rate, um, he didn't want his Mishkan constructed with gifts given in coercion. Um, he did not instruct Moshe to make the people give. He didn't say, Moshe, order the people to give. Command them like he's commanded us before. Command the people to stay away from the mountain. Command the people to um, abstain from from relations for three days. Command the people to wash their clothes uh, before they come up um, and receive the ten words. The, we've seen the Lord command his people to do things before. Um, But at this point in time, he says, ask them. Ask him from anyone whose heart is motivated to give to me. And the word truma, contribution, is really like, it's almost like a tithe of sorts. um, uh, To use this uh, example or analogy, Um, when a person has determined in his heart that he's going to give something to God, like a tithe, um, when he gets paid, what he does is he takes that portion Um, that he has set aside for God, or determined that he's going to set aside for God. And he safeguards that. He puts that away um, so that it does not get used with his normal funds. And when the time comes, he then takes that out of his treasury, or out of his reserve, or what, out of wherever he st- stored it, and then he gives it to the Lord. That's a contribution. That is a trumah. That's what the Torah is trying to say. Take the, tell the people to take that and determine from their heart's point of view what they want to give to me, and, and then give that to me. Now remember that um, Israel is considered the bride of Hashem. They've married him. The marriage ceremony, or the betrothal really, took place on uh, Mount Sinai when they received the, 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 the ten words. And so, because they are married to Hashem, um, Hashem wanted his bride to want their husband to have a dwelling place. It's like God said, you know, now that we're married, let's move in together. Um, and isn't that what husband and wife do? They, they they live in the same locale, the same proximity. They they take up residence within the same address. And so, in a sense, Hashem is saying to his newly um, taken bride, uh, "I want to move in with you. It's t- now that we're we're married. Let's 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 dwell together." And really, the building of the tabernacle is the house um, that. Hashem would allow his people to uh, um, interact with him on that level i mean it 's a community don 't get me wrong it 's not like the people lived in the tabernacle <laughs> um, nor did they live in the in the temple that would be laid, built later on but rather the people and their relationship to the temple they understood that uh, it was the house of God and since they were the people of God it was their house um, our Lord delights in our free will especially when we choose him after all god created us as free will agents and what better way to demonstrate our love for him than to take that free will and turn right back around and choose god choose life now um at this point in time you might be wondering where they get all the stuff to build the tabernacle after all they left egypt and with with you know, verily, just the, the clothes on their back of sorts, right? They left in haste, they didn't have time to really even let their dough rise. Where did they get all this stuff? How are they going to build tabernacles? Is God going to have them go um, traipsing about the, the desert and looking for the materials? No. If you'll remember from a couple of uh, parashiotes ago, um, when the offspring of Abraham left Egypt, that Hashem put it in the Egyptians' hearts to do what? To give large amounts of gold, silver, articles of clothing and precious stones to them as they made their escape. Do you remember that? He made the Egyptians um, favor them and they borrowed the uh, items. Well, now we can understand, After as we're beginning to read this account, we can understand why this event took place. You see? Hashem, knowing the future, would give his people the opportunity to see whether or not they would hoard this fortune or give it back freely to the one who provided it in the first place, you see there was an object lesson couched in there, and we didn't even see it. But herein lies a lesson for us today. All right, many times our natural resources, our our monies, um, our our um, our time, really, but um, more so our tangible resources—the things that we can move from one place to another, our commodities—they've um, been given to us, um, and they really at times have been given to us whether we deserve it or not um and really they're here to grant us an opportunity to what freely contribute them back to hashem for the building up of his kingdom god gives us things so that we may also give back to him to whom much is given much is required right the verse says we the um, community of called out ones have been given so much especially of our talents Um, many of you listening to my podcast have have such wonderful talents i'm i'm sure singing or teaching or administrating or um, whatever it is that you are able to do these are gifts that god has given to you freely when did you deserve these things when did i deserve um, these gifts i have not I've never been in a position where I've been um, able to say to God, now I deserve this. Give it to me. Rather, God freely gives to me. And in that gift, in that giving, he also stirs my heart and challenges me to say, Ariel, now will you give this back to me to build up my kingdom? Or will you hoard it? for yourself and try and make a name for yourself like the world does. We can look around us and we can see that there are many wonderful people in the world, good and well-meaning people, who have also similar gifts. There are many well-meaning, well, I don't know if I can say well-meaning, but there are many um, people in the world who have the gift of singing, the gift of art, um, I mean, they're autistic, they have the gift of administrations, the gift of making money, and yet so many people in the world are not using these gifts and talents for God. Instead, they're using them to make a name for themselves. Let's not be like that. Let us follow the example of the Torah and give back freely to Hashem of that which He has given to us. The Torah teaches, quote, um, again, that to whom much is given, much is required. The reward comes to us as believers when we make the wise choice to freely and wholeheartedly uh, give as Amr Israel did in these opening few verses. All right. To be sure, ask yourself, what good would all those riches, all that gold, all that silver, all those fine raiments, what good would all those riches do for a bunch of desert-dwelling former slaves? Huh? It's not going to do them any good out in the desert. No, God had a grand plan when he gave them all that stuff. And it wasn't just to get rich. Pop, Contrary to some of the Popular um, Get rich uh, sermons That we hear in many churches today No God gives us Gives to us So that we can give back I have a saying That I like to put At the end of some of my emails When I write uh, And answer questions to people I say Be blessed As you seek To be a blessing To others Okay That's a very important um, Lesson I don't we know, know Where I picked that saying up But uh, I like it Be blessed As you seek To be a blessing To others Alright Now, uh, for the sake of our commentary, I want to talk about the concept of this temporary dwelling place for Hashem. Um, Really, these verses spell the beginning of a Torah principle that would culminate in our Lord permanently dwelling among His people. And you can skip forward all the way to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, to see that God desires to dwell with men on a more permanent basis but for now we have the glimpses of that in the temporary dwelling place known as the tabernacle the following materials uh, I'm sorry the following material that I'm about to present could be found within a previous teaching of mine uh, that I wrote on the festival of tabernacles it is available at this website Uh, go to the more commentaries I'm sorry go to the commentary section and look under the um, festival section the feast days the Chagim okay This next section is entitled, Living with Papa. Alright, I want to develop the temporary uh, dwelling place theme for our study. From this commentary, the reader will soon see that there is a lot of messianic redemptive history tied up in the concept of dwelling. Messianic redemptive history. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Hashem has had a grand plan of becoming the one and only God of his people from the beginning of history. Um, when mankind was separated from God in the garden, then God set into motion his divine plan, which he had, of course, devised since before he created man. Um, he set into motion his divine plan whereby man would be redeemed back unto himself, namely through his chosen servant, the Messiah. And in this redemption, God himself would be able to dwell once again with man. We would return to the state that we enjoyed in the garden, where we can walk and talk with God. Isn't that going to be wonderful? Having said that, um, I will work from a basic outline this time. Let's examine the main points of my outline. If you have your um, written commentary there, your printed commentary, look on the top of page 3, okay? Point number 1 is entitled, Dwelling with Men. Past history. Under that, there are points A, B, and C, which are some um, passages that I want to look at. With the C point being the prophetic passage of the three, and then point number two in the outline is dwelling with men present reality. Again, there are three points underneath that subpoint, or three subpoints underneath that A, B, and C, with the C point being prophetic. And then um, uh, number three is entitled dwelling with men future redemption. Uh, again, p- sub-points B, and C underneath that. Three passages, with the C passage being prophetic. <clears throat> Alright, let's start with um, our first point. Number one, dwelling with men. Past history. Now, according to our current parashah, this tabernacle uh, was to be put together using materials that were freely and wholeheartedly con- uh, contributed by Am Yisrael. They were not to be forced to give, as I mentioned earlier. The first post uh, the first point that I want to emphasize is this. The building of the dwelling place was an act of free will. The people wanted it built and thereby contributed to its building. Only after this important detail of Hashem's tabernacle was addressed could he state in chapter 25 verse 8, quote, I will dwell among them, End quote. That's from the KJV and the emphasis is mine. Um, in Leviticus twenty three forty two, if we just skip forward, we notice that Hashem instructed the people to build sukkot, the little booths, the plural of the singular sukkah. Sukkot is the plural. Sukkah is the singular. He asked them to build these in memory, in memory uh, of the temporary dwelling places that they had that, that they actually had had to live in their tents while they wandered in the desert. Remember, they didn't have homes; they were living as um, temporary. Uh, residents of the, the the desert. God never designed that he would lead them out of Egypt only to have them take up permanent residence in the desert. And so he had them build the Sukkot um, to dwell in, the little booths. But the most important temporary dwelling place during that time period, while they were uh, making their way to the land, was still our tabernacle, our Mishkan. Now to be sure, according to past history, once the tabernacle was built... For Hashem, He indeed did come to dwell among His people, just like He said He would. In fact, the opening few verses of Leviticus shows that God moved into His new dwelling place, um, and we'll we'll study that when we get to it. Um, The people would then be able to behold His Shekhinah; they they actually um, experienced the manifest presence of God as He. Uh, dwelt among his people. They could see the pillar of cloud on a day-by-day basis. They could see the pillar of fire on a nightly basis. In the prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 27 and 28, Hashem is seen as saying once again that his, quote, home will be with them. Notice the future aspect of that verse. His home will be with them. Um, What could it be saying to us there? Um, I mean, after all, he did have a home, of sorts, in the time period of the Tanakh. So why would he tell Ezekiel that his home will be with his people? Well, let's read on to find out. Point number two, dwelling with men, present reality. Uh, John's opening account of Yeshua's ministry here on earth is a most revealing one. In fact, in John chapter 1... Of his gospel, we find a seemingly ordinary statement until we examine the underlying Hebrew thought behind us. Here's the statement quote, The Word became a human being and lived with us, and we saw his Shekhinah. Okay? Um, end quote. Now that's verse 14 of chapter 1. This immediately brings to memory the indwelling, manifest presence uh, or manifest glory of God which was present in the earthly tabernacle when it says he, be, he, he lived with us, or he dwelt with us. Um, in fact, uh, let me see if I talk about the Greek behind that. Um, let me read this first, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the Greek. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the tabernacle... At this time, when John's writing, the tabernacle had long been um, replaced by a more permanent temple structure. So at John's writing, we don't have the tabernacle, we have the temple. And yet he says of Yeshua that the word became a human being, or became flesh, and dwelt among us, I think is how the KJV has it. Moreover, the Shekinah, the glory of God, is reported to have been fully displayed in the person of Yeshua. You can reference Colossians 2, nine for that um, statement. In John 14.23 and also in John 17.23, Yeshua says to his crowd that anyone who loves him will keep his words. And the response is that the father will demonstrate his own love for the individual who um, surrenders to Yeshua. And that both of them, father and son, would come to make their abode with him again uh that that's from the KJV the the warning there i paraphrased it a bit but um god would come and take up residence within the person uh through his son um and in a sense we become the tabernacle of the lord now this type of dwelling in a sense where god dwells within us or jesus is in you is really a perfect one it is perfect all right don't get me wrong um one might even suppose that this type of dwelling among men was indeed the complete revelation of Hashem's dwelling with men. When God said, I will dwell with men, is this what he was referring to? That Yeshua would take up residence with us? Some would say yes, but is it really? Let's keep reading and find out. The book of Hebrews chapter 8 tells us, um, well, before I go to Hebrews, let me do this for you. Let me I've got my um, computer pulled up here, and I want to pull up the original Greek of John chapter 1. Um... Let's see, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. I've read that for you in Hebrew before. I don't want to focus on that word verse. I want to go down to verse 14 where it says, uh, quote, and I think this is from the um, KJV. It says, quote, uh, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to single out the word uh, dwelt among us. Let me pull up... Um, electronically, what the original Hebrew or Greek word is. It says that the original Hebrew word here is skena'o, which is a verb which means to fix one's tabernacle or have one's tabernacle, abide or live in a tabernacle or tent or to tabernacle or to dwell. Now, isn't that neat that Strong's translates this word, skena'o, as um, to tabernacle? Now, see the imagery there where it says that Yeshua dwelt with us, but really the Greek is saying that Yeshua tabernacled with us. And since we're talking about the tabernacle, the imagery is immediately apparent to John's readers, and it should be apparent to us today. Yeshua is the Mishkan of God. He is the tabernacle of God. God's Shekinah, the very presence and and fullness of God, was 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 put into a human form. Uh, um, a a person, a human being, uh, into a skin suit and dwelt with us. God was able to walk and talk with us via His Son. And now we understand the verse more closely when it says that He shall be called Immanuel, God with us. Um, He is God with us. He's he's God in human flesh. Um, Jesus is very God in human flesh. And that's a wonderful uh, reality. Of course we know this, but I'm trying to get you listening today to make the correlation to the tabernacle, where God said, I will dwell with you, and in his dwelling with us, the tabernacle is seen as a type and shadow of Yeshua to come, of sorts. Yeshua is a tabernacle in that sense. Now, let's go back. The book of Hebrews chapter 8 tells us that our great high priest Yeshua was also a, quote, minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Quote. That's um, Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 2 out of the KJV. Now, in one sense, Yeshua is the tabernacle, and in another sense, he's the high priest of the tabernacle. Don't get confused. Now, it's also true that our Messiah's atoning death um, brought about the present reality that quote, any individual who calls upon his name will receive Hashem's salvation. End quote. Of course, this is taken from Joel chapter two, verse thirty two, which is um, referenced in Romans ten thirteen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Moreover, according to the Torah, this personal acceptance of Yeshua is the only sign of a true and genuine relationship between a holy God and his people. You can reference John sixteen um, sorry, John 14, verse six through verse twenty-one, as well as Hebrews chapter eight, verse ten. So until we as humans accept the offer that God has made on our behalf, the gift of salvation through his son Yeshua, we cannot have a genuine and lasting relationship with our holy God. We will forever be distanced from him and separated from from him. God desires that we accept his son and therefore uh, open a relationship with him so that we can commune with him. Our God loves us and ever since the um, the uh, the, uh, the distance in the garden, the separation in the garden, God has desired to, to reconnect with us and to, to fellowship with us. He loves us and he desires to commune with us. The Feast of Sukkot mentioned Levit- in Leviticus 23 is a holy convocation that speaks of corporate involvement. Okay, Understand the correlation or the comparison that I'm drawing between the personal acceptance of Yeshua and the corporate involvement that the people um, were expected to um, avail themselves of during the festival Sukkot. It is a corporate meeting where God meets with the people on a large basis, on a, on a, on a A somewhat grand basis. So, after reading all of this, and we're bouncing off of this idea of a personal dwelling with God, uh, where God takes a personal dwelling within us, is there still some future dwelling with men that Hashem is waiting for? Does the Bible speak of a dwelling with men that we have not yet seen? I believe it does. What does our prophetic scripture from Jeremiah for this point say? Quote, I will be their God, and they will be my people, end quote. That's Jeremiah 31, 33. Notice that even though the passage was written in Jeremiah, and it's hinting at the the personal reality that we enjoy in Yeshua, um, there is still, as of yet, some future aspect, even today in the 21st century. God is not dwelling corporately with us, I mean, he is dwelling within us personally, and his presence is seen within his his body, the messianic community made up of both uh, Jews and Gentiles, um, the remnant of Israel, or otherwise known as the church. However, God still desires to make his dwelling with us on a level that we have not yet seen. Let me elaborate. This next point is entitled, Dwelling with Men, Future Redemption. The festival of Yom Kippur, that we're going to read about later on as well, carefully teaches us uh, believers about the effectual atoning death of Yeshua, which um, brought about the very real and present reality that today, anyone can become a child of God. That's what Yom Kippur teaches us. Because he has offered himself once and for all, every person now has the opportunity to allow God to take up a, a dwelling within that person. A personal dwelling, a personal relationship with God has made, been made available. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, will dwell within the believer. God promises this. The believer bearing witness uh, within their own Ruach, their own spirit, that they are truly offspring of the Holy One. Blessed be He. Now, this is, of course, uh, taught most explicitly in the Apostolic Scriptures. In fact, I'm pulling my quote this time from Romans 8.16, where Paul teaches us that because the Spirit takes up residence within us, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Why can we cry this? Why can we say this? Because the Spirit um, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I thought that Yeshua's indwelling Spirit was an eternal one. What's all this talk about a temporary dwelling place? Why even mention that? Well, the study's focus is on the dwelling place of Hashem. In a very real way, each and every one of us believers, as I keep mentioning, is Yeshua's Sukkah. We are his Mishkan. You and I, if um, if you have named the name of Jesus today, you are his portable temple body is the temple of the son of god he lives in you and through you and because of this i don't even need to emphasize this but because of this we need to treat our temples as holy but um once this happens we've become his permanent dwelling place within a temporary vessel because as we know even though the son of god has taken up residence within us he dwells within us via his spirit We know that our bodies are still awaiting a final redemption. If you're like me, you're plagued by sin. I don't mean plagued to the point of being overwhelmed. What I mean is the things that I want to do, the good things that I should do, I don't do because of the sin housed inside of me. And then conversely, the things that I know I shouldn't do, the things that I should avoid because, again, of the sin housed inside of me, I end up doing these things sometimes. So if you're like me, there's a frustration because of the battle that's taking place in the inner man. And the inner man desires to do that which God asks me to do, but the flesh and the sin housed inside me wars against the inner man, the real me, that wants to do what God asks me to do. I sound very much like Paul in Romans chapter 7, don't I? Well, that's where I'm getting my inspiration. So, in a sense, we have become his permanent dwelling place. God will never Ever leave us. Yeshua promised that He would never leave us or forsake us once we have surrendered to Him. But in a sense, it's a temporary vessel. The vessel itself is still flawed, it still houses sin. And so, once this corruption is exchanged for incorruption, then we will shed the temporary aspect of. Of this dwelling place, and that's the point I'm trying to make here First Corinthians 15 verses 51 through 54 tells us that we will be changed one day we will no longer have to live as believers with this war on the inside. When Yeshua returns, he will quicken our bodies and the corruptible will be exchanged for incorruptible and we will be able to see Yeshua as He is, indeed, He is incorruptible. Amen? However, I'm still inquiring about the dwelling place of Hashem. Okay? God dwells in us. Yeshua dwells in us. But the language of the Torah leads us to understand that God, on a corporate level, will dwell with His creation. And not just within the hearts of believers. But it seems to hint at... An aspect of God coming and dwelling among his people in a way that we've not yet seen. Where is God's Sukkah today? Where is his, where is his tabernacle? Now again, I know you're reminding me, Ariel, we are his tabernacle. Yes, I agree. In one sense, we are. But in another sense, we are not. Romans 11, 25, and 26 begins to hint of a future time when all of Israel shall know the salvation of their God once and for all, Baruch Hashem. May that day come soon. Tied up within that future redemption of all Israel is the concept that Hashem started with way back in the days of the Tanakh, right here in our Torah portion. Quote, I've come full circle, I will dwell among them quote exodus chapter 25 verse 8 from the kjv from the prophetic book of revelation we learn that there will be a day when the final plan of hashem will be fully realized among men let's go there chapter 21 verse 3 quote and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of god is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. End quote. This time that was taken from the NIV. Don't you see where this is all leading? Do you see what the passage is telling us? Yeshua has given us the down payment of the dwelling of the Father with his people. Yeshua has inaugurated a wedding that's going to culminate when he returns. And when he returns, we will be able to catch a glimpse, a better glimpse of God moving in among his people on a more permanent level. Even when Yeshua returns to set up his throne on this earth in the millennial reign that is spoken of in the prophets, we will still have men trying to do things their own way. Yes, sin will be present on the earth during the millennium. However, we will be moving closer towards the reality of God making his dwelling place with men and one day completely vanquishing the sin that has plagued humanity for the last 6,000 plus years. We will return to the state that we enjoyed in the garden. We will be able to walk with God and talk with God and commune with God in a way that we do not enjoy right now. The concept of Hashem making his final dwelling place with his people is so important that even the prophet Zechariah foretold of a time when everyone living in the millennial period will have a divinely appointed opportunity to participate in the feast of what? The feast of dwellings. The feast of tabernacles. Or the feast of booths, as it's been um, Uh, 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 referred to a few times look at Zechariah chapter 14 verse 16 and you'll see that God prophesied through the prophet that one day all men will be able to um, take up um, this feast, this festival of tabernacles, even with the past history of the tabernacle that we're reading about in our current Torah portion and the present reality of Yeshua's spirit within us as believers We must admit that we still have a final corporate Sukkot, a final um, corporate tabernacling to experience. Wouldn't you agree now? Yeshua is the fullness of the Father within us, yet there is something still future to this whole plan of God's. Moreover, when Yeshua returns to rules from Yerushalayim, from Jerusalem, in bodily form, He will be here. We will be able to see Him. Even our current relationship with Him, will take on an entirely different aspect. You and I as believers, as I mentioned earlier, will be quickened in our, in our flesh. We will be renewed within our minds again, even more so, so that we will be able to dwell with Yeshua and know Him on a more intimate level than we even know Him today. We won't have to look through a glass dimly or darkly, as Paul talks it, seeing in a mirror um, darkly or dimly. Let us believers be ever mindful of the purposes that Hashem has for mankind, um, and these purposes are demonstrated in His dwellings among men. Whenever God chose to dwell with us, then we catch a glimpse of His purposes. We we don't fully understand it yet. Okay, I'm not supposing that I fully understand exactly how God dwells with men, but we are catching um, um, just just a peek at it as we read through the Torah portion and as we walk and talk with them uh, on an everyday level. In fact, I'm humored by the uh, fact that uh, as I um, interact with believers at my congregation and I'm sure you do at yours, that people often use the language that, you know, God told me the other day that I should do this or God spoke to me uh, during my devotional time and and, and and explained this to me or, or God spoke to this or God spoke that. And yet in reality um, <clears throat> If we're honest or just pragmatic, the speaking that we're referring to is really in our spirit. It's within our spiritual ear that we hear God speak. Many of us uh, report hearing from God. I hear from God on a daily basis. Um, however, when I explain that to people, it sounds rather odd unless they understand that when I say I hear from God, it's really within my prophetic ear, within my spirit. God impresses his will upon my spirit, and I, and I hear that. I perceive um, him speaking to me. And yet, reality, it's not a, It's not like you're hearing my voice today over this podcast. It's not a bot kol, which in Hebrew is a daughter's voice. It's not a voice from heaven. It's not an audible voice. It would really be nice if it was. And one day, when Yeshua returns, it will be audible. And now I'm not trying to say that people have not heard God down through the ages. There are rep- uh, reports of believers, um, we have some recorded in the Torah, obviously, who have heard God speak audibly. And more, uh, moreover, Others have reported hearing Yeshua speak audibly to them. However, for the majority of us, it's within our inner spirit that we hear God speak. And so, um, what are we to do with these, these, these meetings that God um, orchestrates with us? Shall we contribute our vessels freely, like the um, children of Israel of old did? Well, through the power of the Royal Kakodesh, this we shall do. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye, what, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service or a reasonable duty. Um, God requires of us the giving of ourselves back to him. It is the... Um, It is the reasonable, or expected, is what the the, the, um, verse is trying to hint at, it is the expected service of a follower of Hashem. It's the natural action of ours. For the Torah describes our opportunity um, this way. Let me just read the entire passage. I'm going to read from, um, I believe this is from uh, the CJB. Quote, I exhort you therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as as a living sacrifice, um, living and set apart for God, this will please him, for it is the logical temple worship for you, end quote. N- Notice how in um, David Stern's rending of the verse, he he uses the phrase temple worship, because that's the imagery that Paul is drawing from when he tells his readers in Romans, to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. When you hear the word sacrifices, you're supposed to think of temple or tabernacle. He goes on to say, quote, in other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of the olam Haze, the present age. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what, what he wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed, end quote. Isn't it wonderful to know that this life of ours, as believers, is an opportunity to make a truma, a contribution unto Hashem. The contribution is our life. It is our mind. It is our wills. As we surrender to Yeshua the Master, as we give and yield our members to Him, so that He can speak and talk through us. We give ourselves as gifts and contributions back to the Father, and He, the Father, will not coerce you into making this choice. No, the decision is yours. The closing blessing is as follows: Barukat Adonai lohenu olam, asher natan la nutorat met, vechaye olam nata Baruch Atah, Donai, Noten, HaTorah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You have given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember... Because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at Yeshua613 at Hotmail.com That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at Hotmail.com Or visit our website at GraftedIn.com That's GraftedIn.com